Welcome to Green Eggs and West Ham. I'm Chris W. along with my co-host Chris S. This podcast is dedicated to providing lighthearted, concise analysis on everything concerning West Ham. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Green Eggs and West Ham. Today we've got a transfer episode about how we've done in the window as a club overall right now we're on a zero net zero spending budget where um, which means we have to spend we have to sell more players before we can actually go out and purchase players and we have to have um, money to do that and we've come up with some players that uh, we we have sold we've come up with a little bit of money but still haven't seen a ton of transfers coming into the club Um, we did a financial analysis according uh, to what the board has put out publicly and you can find that on our Twitter. We've also got an Excel document detailing exactly how we got the numbers and what numbers um, the club should be looking at right now. So, Chris, given that financial analysis, we have a pause. We've got a positive budget as of today, September 11th. What do you make of this transfer window, and what do you see happening? I don't think there's any way to classify this transfer window other than a massive disappointment. We've even before the transfer window, we, we had our expectations managed down by the club, by the owners, that you know there wasn't going to be a big budget this year. Um, you know, the coronavirus hurt the hurt the financials, and we just didn't have money to spend. Well, we you know that's not only proven to be true, but it's even been worse than that. Uh, as you know, as you mentioned, our we did our financial podcast last episode, and I recommend people check that out where we really showed that based on our estimates, we didn't lose that, that much compared to uh, kind of it, what we, what we lost because of the coronavirus pandemic is not enough to explain this complete lack of spending that it, I think it was about 14 million pounds projected loss of revenue compared to last year. Um, and right now we have, um, we have a net net positive of about 6 million and that includes counting the Thomas Suchek purchase this year. So if you don't include the Suchek purchase, that's over 20 million uh, received this year relative to you know net spend. And that's and to me, we see this team that managed to finish one place above relegation. We we know that there's very very obvious issues in this team. Our defense shipped in 62 goals last year. We have no striker depth. We have one player, one senior player currently that plays striker. Or that, that's a natural striker. We, we play Antonio there as well, but only Hilaire is a natural striker right now. We have our midfield cover is a 30, 32 or 33-year-old Mark Noble and an injury-prone Jack Wilshire. We have one extra center back at the club and we have a 19 year, two different 19 year olds that had to play fullback for us this year. And yet we're the only premier league team that hasn't brought in a senior player. Yeah. So what you're saying is we've had this gap throughout the season, not only because of injury, but also just in terms of player contracts running out like Zabaleta and and Gakia. And yet we still have yet to bring in anybody. And I think that's the most curious point is, we we know we have this huge huge you know gap in our team right now and our defense suffered last year i mean 
Ogbonna was solid, but besides that, you could make a case that uh, that we had holes in every other part of our defense. And and he's he's 32 now. He's and he's 32. 32, and he missed a little bit of time with injury. You can't rely on him to be the like he's great, but you can't rely on him to be the rock of your defense at that age and having essentially almost no cover on the entire back line. Yeah, if if you did have a solid line, then yeah, I could see he could be the rock of the defense. But the rock of the defense has to have support, and no team has one defender. You know, you've got to have a solid defense. And so we've got this huge hole. And I so I want to bring in a statistic from last year. Um, that uh, I'm just going to name out some clubs that spent. I'm going to put a range between 130 and 140 million roughly depends on what source you look at what fees they include but this is just um based on the source i'm looking at this is is just uh rough rough estimate so last year last transfer window man united ashton villa arsenal man city they all spent about 135 to 145 million on transfers this season they've spent 40 million 50 million uh, roughly 45 million let's say net total um and they finished pretty high ashton villa was fighting relegation and they spent 50 million this year and 145 million last year so you see a lot of these teams that uh specifically i wanted to point ashton villa because they spent a massive amount last year and then they came in barely beat relegation and now by literally an error in the goal line technology. And now they're spending another $50 million in this transfer window. And Chris, what, what do you have to say about our financial um, status compared to, to Ashton Villa? Well, we should be a bigger club than all of the teams that are around us in the table. So if you think of the teams that finished around us in the table, Aston Villa, Brighton, Hove Albion, uh, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, um, even teams, you know, Southampton, Sheffield United finished higher up the table. Uh, all of these teams are teams, Burnley, all of these teams are teams that financially we should be much bigger than. Both, even even before the move to the London Stadium, really the only two clubs out of that group I said, said should have competed with us maybe would have been Crystal Palace and Newcastle. Um, and Newcastle, the owner's trying to, Newcastle, the owner's trying to sell the team and they've still spent $42 million this year. And so all these teams that even finished around, so like, yes, the Man Cities, the Chelsea's, all of them, they still spent money. But yet even the teams around us in the table that we financially should be stronger than are spending money. So if, and the coronavirus didn't impact us worse than it did them. Right. We still played 38 games. You know, they still all missed home games just like we did. But you know, home games with fans. But they, you know, they still got all the Premier League prize money, all the broadcasting money, all of their corporate sponsorships, just like us. And yet, you know, we have had all of our players that have come back from loan be sold, with the exception of Josh Cullen. We had Diangana sold. We had Hugo sold. Um, we hey, released players like Zabaleta and. Sanchez, we sold a Yeti. I mean, so we sold two senior strikers. We've let uh, two defenders go in Zabaleta and in Ngakia. We let 
not obviously not great midfield cover, but midfield cover go in Sanchez. We sold Diangana on the wing, who was supposed to be, quote, like a new signing, and everyone was excited about him. One of the only players we've seen, even in a friendly, though, give Hilaire some service. And I thought the whole reason to move to the London Stadium was so we didn't have to sell our good young players in order to be a t- you know financially st- solvent. Yeah, that that was one transfer that didn't make any sense to me. If so, if you want to sell a, a jetty, fine. You know, we didn't really play him. I think we still need some cover for the striker. But look, if Moyes wasn't going to play him, then sell him. Let's not even have him on the wage bill. However, with Dean Ghana, we saw, like you mentioned, some great service to Hilaire. Hilaire got a hat trick in one of the games, which, given it's a preseason game, it's not necessarily you know you're not uh, playing Liverpool, but still, it shows something, right? And the fact that we needed we needed someone on that left wing. We had we've put Fornals out there, who Fornals is more of a center um, center midfielder, and then Anderson, who we've proven sometimes is not the best choice actually for a lot of times. So Dean Ghana was there to fill that slot. He was an academy player. I I, I think a lot of the fan base is uh, very hurt by this transfer because not only did Dean Ghana want to stay, but also he was an academy player. And what kind of message do you think that sends uh, to future West Ham Academy players? It's, I mean, it shows that they're not valued. What what else could Diagana have done on loan last year to earn himself a place in our team? He was one of the crucial players in a team that got second in, in the championship and got promoted. I think he contributed over between goals and assists over 15 combined goals and assists. He when that wasn't even applying the whole season. He was injured for a short spell. And he's in a position that we arguably need. I mean, we have a lot of players that can play those positions. But if you if you you know, we have Bowen Bowen was our only winger that performed well last year. If if you're counting if you're counting Antonio as a striker. Bowen played well. Antonio played well, but he played well as a striker. Um, Lanzini was terrible. Anderson was terrible. Fornells was decent, but he shouldn't be playing on the left wing. He should be playing in his natural position as an attacking midfielder. And so even if you say, oh, well, we had all these players in those positions, we can sell one. Well, Diangana was the most promising out of all of those. Like he was the one that you expected to actually do well out of all the left-sided wingers. Yeah, no, I agree. I I find this one really tough. And another, another thing too, is uh, he wanted to stay. So it's not just like a a player came up and say, Oh, I did well in the championship, but I really want to move to that team now that they're promoted. You know, I helped them through the championship and, and I want to stick with him. I, I would understand that, but he didn't. He said, I, I earned my spot there when I was on loan, and I proved that I should be able to play for West Ham. And, and, you know, and then we turned around and sold him. And it, that, that honestly really hurt me. When, um, our, problem, our problem the last few years has not been talent. It's been effort and production. If you boot up, if you boot up the latest FIFA – so many of our players, you know, Anderson's one of our best-rated players. Hilaire's one of our best-rated players. Lanzini's, you know, rated highly on that. They're skillful players, but they didn't 
put the effort and they didn't contribute. Here we have a player in Diangana who has production, albeit at a championship level, but at a high-performing championship side. And he, he wants to display the effort. He has the fight in him. And so, so to the, he offers the two things that we were missing most from the last couple of years and the reason why we underperformed, and we get rid of him. And, yeah. you know, the team obviously was not happy. You know, Mark Noble sent out a tweet. Um, As captain of this football club, I'm gutted, angry, and sad that Grady has left. Great kid with a great future. And we saw multiple. I think Declan Rice liked it. Jack Wilshire and a couple others had comments on Instagram. And, you know, we can talk all day about whether Mark Noble should have said that or not. But I'm not going to get mad at Mark Noble for standing up and saying, hey, this, you know, his job is his job is to do what he thinks is best for the club. And if, if he thinks the club's not being run well or is making bad decisions, I applaud him for saying it. Like, it's not an easy thing to go against your employer. You know, I, I mean, he wasn't directly calling out the board, but we could all see what kind of that was. That was – he was not happy with that a decision that the board made. And yeah, I definitely like to see a captain sticking up for his players and as well as with the manager. So, I, you know, I didn't necessarily see a ton of moist comments on this. I know there's a lot of circling around, but uh, but let's just just theoretically not saying moist do this, but let's just say, you know, moist either stood up to the board or which manager would you rather have? A manager that stands up to the board and says, no, I want this player or no, I want to sell this player or a manager that just is a yes man and accepts whatever the board wants to do. Like you want the guy that's going to fight for your team and is going to look out for the best of your team, right? So um, with Mark Noble, I think it's the same thing for your captain. He's looking out, his job is to look out for the players on the field um, and, and in the locker room. And I think Mark Noble is displaying leadership here by not just accepting what what went on you know and and i really don't think it was honestly a bad tweet i think he was more in support showing support for grady than he was actually trying to you know go against the board but um i i was i was happy with it because i saw that i i think with mark noble being with the club for so long and the and also dean gana's story about uh, his success story really you know I, i liked how he stuck up for him yeah, and it's, I mean, that was one for the present and one for the future that walked out the door. I mean, Dean Ganesh would have been a great contributor this season and he would have been a great contributor going forward. And it now that's gone. And, you know, we can, we can talk about whether Moy should have sanctioned the sale or not. I think all reports have showed that he didn't want to sell Dean Ghana, but he felt like that was the only option, which if that was the case – should we be blaming Moyes for sanctioning the sale or should we be blaming the board because they put him in the position where selling one of your more exciting players was the only way you could bring in any reinforcements to a terrible defense. Right. It sounded like his hand was forced, honestly. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't, I honestly don't share uh, too much blame for Moyes on this. Yeah. Like I probably would have made a different decision if I was in his, his shoes, but the fact that he was forced with that decision is the yeah. more indicative of the problem than in him making it. And I, I just think it's been, it's been an atrocious window. I think this is another season in which we've, our lack of scouting department has come back to bite us. We haven't, there were several players we've been linked to 
maybe some players we've even been interested in, but when the low budget or, you know, the, the cheap options, I'm not saying cheap isn't bad. I'm saying cheap is in affordable options. When we know we don't have a ton of money to spend come available. I'm thinking the, the Anthony Robinsons, the, the Kip Rays from Wigan, um, a few different other players from abroad. I think there, there was the Argentinian left right back. We were linked to all of these players are that we could get, you know, we don't go for him, and yet we go for a 27-year-old center back from Burnley that they're asking $50 million for in Tarkowski. Like, I'm not saying Tarkowski is a bad player, but for $50 million, we could have signed five different 10 million pound players. Or, I mean, where he's probably, even if we get him for 30, 35, we could have bought, like, Anthony Robinson, Kipre, we could have bought. Matty Cash is right back. We could have bought, you know, an entire new back line. And if even you can't tell me that all four or five people we would have bought with that money was going to be a dud compared to what Tarkowski would be. Right. Well, and that's the biggest thing that I don't understand is if we were competing for Europe, we were competing for Champions League, anything, uh, then I'm, I would be a lot more okay with this net zero spend budget and really not even signing any players. Uh, I, I think there's an argument that you need to sign players no matter what team you are, but I would understand it more, but we, we uh, not barely, but probably one or two games to safety. We barely uh, beat relegation. Relegation would be a massive, massive uh, hit to our financial status as a club to the board's, you know, financial means, their ability to sell the club. I mean, in every respect with the players we'd have. And yet, we barely beat it and, and yet we're not changing our team even though there's clear holes. And, and that's, what's really annoying, I guess, to me is everyone can see where we've got these holes. The board has Moyes, everyone has acknowledged where these holes are. We've got to work on the defense. We've got to work on the defense. You hear it over and over and yet we're failing to work on the defense. Yeah. And we're failing to work on the defense. We're failing to invest any money at all. We haven't worked on any position. Like we can, we've been linked to players all window. We've made what? A, we've made a Tarkowski bid. May we, you know, there was some talk of maybe we made a bid on Isaiah. Maybe we didn't. I don't, you know, but we, we haven't had anything concrete. And even if we had, a massive budget to spend. The fact that we haven't been able to get anything done is shows that the infrastructure of the club is not up to snuff. It's not on, on par with what a Premier League club should be. We don't have the scouting network we should be. We don't have, you know, the negotiating team that we should have. We don't we don't have you know, we've been turning out youth players, but financially our club is so poorly run that we have to sell those players. And we buy we buy players for big for big amounts and on big wages, and then next year we have to sell them at a loss. So this is talking about Hugh Gill, talking about a Yeti, not blaming them. I'm just I'm blaming us for paying that like for them, and then not giving them any opportunity to succeed. It's just ridiculous, right? Well, so and that's something too is look, we like to keep the podcast lighthearted. And I look at this change window and I say, where can we find 
any sort of lightheartedness in the insurance window. I mean, it, it was okay, I guess, before we got to Diangana, but once we sold Diangana, I think this transfer window has got to go down as one of the worst that we've done in at least probably the past five years, yeah. like probably the worst, but, but I try to keep hope. You know, we, we do still have a few weeks left in the transfer window. Um, but I also think that it's important to, to come, you know, be fair and, and really just talk about what's going on. We don't want to just skip over things. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and there was a lot of talk and I, you know, there was a lot of talk of if we kept the team that we had at the end of last year, would it be so bad? And, you know, I don't think it would have been, you know, if, if we think of the way we were playing, we we're playing pretty good football, but the problem is a, we don't have the same team as last year, you know, at that ended last year and B, the team that ended last year was so shallow. If one injury happens, the whole thing falls apart. And so I'll go through both those points. One, we don't have the same team as last year. A Yeti, uh, a Yeti's gone, so we have our no no senior striker backup. We have Ngakia gone. Zabaleta and Sanchez left before the restart, but they still left, and they don't. You know, now we I, we started youth players that never played for us before on our bench. Uh, we were supposed to bring in Diangana. That didn't happen. Um, he, we, you know, he was supposed to be a new signing. That didn't happen. So we're not even this. We're, we're weaker in almost every position than we were at the end of last year. We have we have not improved in any position, and we're weaker in several. And then the team that was we had last year even had major structural problems with it, regardless of how well we finished the season last year. We gave up one of the highest goal goal totals among any of the teams. And yet we've done, we let both the experienced right back option in Zabaleta and one of the young promising options in Ngakia go. It just, and I've done nothing to replace them. It, It just frustrates me that, I don't, the, the board to me does not have to have any clear vision of what it wants for this club. And even if they had a vision has proven time and time again, that they're incapable of successfully running a football club. Yeah. And real quick, I just want to focus in on that. One of those points there. So you said we've got a good team. So we, we do, I think structurally we have some holes, but we do have some good players in good position. We got Suchek. Rice is a fantastic world-class player. We've got, you know, Hilaire, I think, is going to have a much better season this year than they did last year. Bowen, you know, Ogbonna in the back, and a pretty decent goalkeeper in Fabianski. So where do you think, with the team we have now, where do you think we, I guess, the highest we could end up? And and I would argue it would probably be about 10th. If we had a really good season didn't this year and didn't change and didn't bring in any new players, I would, I would argue we could go for 10th, but the, the biggest caveat to that would be if we get injuries, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I, I agree. I, I don't, yeah, I don't see even in a best case scenario, we play higher than 10th, maybe ninth. I mean, you have, you know, the traditional top six, but then you also have the likes of Lester. We're not finishing above Lester. Wolves. We're not finishing above Wolves. Uh, even even teams like like Everton and 
like there's no way we're going to finish above them it, it and that's the best case scenario just based on you know if we didn't have any injuries but then you got to remember last year when we were at full strength we did okay really well to start the season and then we had one injury and it derailed our season and now we're in the exact same situation that maybe you know now we have slightly more goalkeeper cover in um Randolph, Randolph. Yeah. then we do Roberto but any other every other position we're more susceptible yeah to, yeah Antonio's yeah. definitely prone to injury yeah, I would Antonio what, I would say you know, it's it's tough for him to play the whole season all 90 minutes he couldn't I don't think he could do what Declan Rice did well and, and can you even expect Declan to be able to do what he did right last year yeah like you can't Good you point. can't expect a player to play every minute in the Premier League. And then let's say one of, let's say any given game, either Sanchez or, or not Sanchez, sorry, Suchek or Noble can't, or sorry, excuse me, any given game, either Suchek or Rice can't go. Well, then your options are what? Noble, Wilshire. Right. Try, like, take a gamble on Colin. And Colin, looked, Colin had a great few great passes. Looked like he could be decent. I'm I'm great. I'm all for giving him a chance, but if you're stake if you're staking your hope on a midfielder that played in a relegated premier a relegated championship side last year, that's a problem. Yeah. Like if 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 you're if you're if that's going to be if a 32 year old Mark Noble playing in a midfield two or you know someone that was decent at the championship but not wonderful by any means, like that's a problem if or if can you can you is there any possible way you think Obana goes all 38 games without getting an injury no I don't he's old he's not like I'm not expecting him to go Frederick's always getting injuries Cresswell been known to get a knock into like here here's what's interesting too is I'm honestly if you look at the team and you say what position are you most worried for in terms of injuries it's not the defense like the defense I yeah, it would, we would suffer, but I am terrified if Antonio gets hurt, we are in a lot of trouble because there goes probably, I'd argue, 60 to 70% of our attack. Our entire attack is, yeah. you know, and, and so you've got Hilaire up there. Yeah, sure. I hope he gets the service. I hope he does better. But Antonio is such a force. And if you lose him, you have, first of all, no one to replace him with. But second of all, I don't. What do you you know? Yeah, because you then you're bringing attack. in someone like Lanzini or Anderson who right. gave you nothing right. last year, right? Which I'm hoping one of them can break out, but there's nothing to show. They're not playing in any different situation. You know, there there is a lot of that's some really great analysis on West Ham Twitter from several different people that if maybe if we just got Anderson a solid left back where he didn't have to cover, then maybe he'd be better. I think there's some credence to that. You know, just, just yeah. the same way that if I feel like if you gave Hilaire good service, he'd be a lot better. But we haven't given Hilaire new service. We haven't gotten Anderson defensive cover at the left back. So we can't realistically expect anything different than what we did last year because we haven't properly supported the squad. I mean, it's football is an 11-man game. You, th- you can't just throw, you know, you have to, the entire team works together. If you have a weak spot, it doesn't just hurt that position. It hurts others around it. And we haven't fixed our weak spots. 
so yeah, I, I think the highest we could finish is 10th. I think I wouldn't, I won't bank us to get relegated, but I think we will be in a relegation scrap for sure. Because I, I think there's going to be a run in the season where, especially with these tough games starting out, that we're going to get an injury at some point. We're going to lose games we should have won because of it. And unless something massively changes before, you know, in the, in the next two weeks, you know, before the transfer window closes, I just, our team is, is fragile as glass. I do hold out a little bit of hope though. Cause I know we got Bowen literally out. I think we had to extend the transfer window request an extension just to sign him. So I don't know. There's a little bit of hope that I still have, but uh, yeah. we'll see. Well, and I think, I think there, it could be an exciting. I just think, I, I think there are players like Bowen, Bowen, if Hilaire gets kicking the way Antonio finished the season, there's, there's a lot of exciting options. The problem is there's not, there's not a, a side of 11 that we could put out there that I'm really confident in to beat a team. There's, there's weaknesses somewhere. Uh, and yeah, I hope we, you know, it's crucial to get a good win against Newcastle and, you know, next segment we'll, we'll kind of preview that game and just say, Hey, what do we think we can, what do we think we should do to beat Newcastle? But I think if we don't, if we don't get off to a good win there, it could be a rough start. All right, Chris, so let's look forward to the first game of the season. So this Saturday we play Newcastle. Um, they're a team that we've, you know, kind of gone back and forth with for, for a long while, both in, you know, on the pitch, but also in, in our targets, our transfer targets. And um, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game. This is really one of the, the easier games we have to start the season, but no, by no means a cakewalk. What, what do you think – when you're looking forward to this game. So we have these holes that we talked about with the defense. And what I'm worried about with Newcastle is that they've got some extremely fast wingers and, and some very tough people to deal with. And in terms of, uh, in terms of their attack. So I think for this game, our team needs to go in. We would ideally like to score early and, and really shut down their team. However, if you sit back and you wait, for them to pound you, you're going to get beat because I don't think we have the quality uh, to, to kind of park the bus much like Burnley does in a lot of games. So I think for us, we've got to go into the game with a mentality of our kind of come out strong. We've got to come out fast and we've got to score. I would say in the first 25 minutes should be our goal. Um, Newcastle has some weak spots in their defense and especially with Bowen, especially with Suchek going forward more now. And uh, I'm not really sure who we're going to play on that left wing, but um, but let's say for now. I mean, you have a decent attack there going forward. And uh, it, do you have any – what would you say, Chris, for what does West Ham need to go into the game with? Yeah, I think with with our defense kind of weak as it is, I think you pretty much need to go with the mentality of we're going to outscore the other team. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't want you know you can't just throw everyone forward and it'd be a you know free for all and but you you need to realize that you're not going to win a lot or you're not going to have a lot of nil nil draws or one nil wins you you're going to have to outscore teams 
Um, and one of the things, new, if, if Newcastle's added anything to their team, they've added uh, goal threats. They added Callum Wilson, who always scores against us, whether it's uh, <laughs> legally or, you know, illegal offside handballs before VAR. It, it, he, he tends to have a pretty good goal-scoring record against West Ham. They also got Ryan Frazier, uh, his, his teammate at Bournemouth, on a free. Um, and then, you know, they also have good players of uh, St. Maxim was Saint one Maxim, that we highlighted yeah. last year as yep. we highlighted him before the game as, as a threat. And he was, I believe, the one that scored their, their winning goal in that game. It just, yep. his pace, we, we tend to do bad with against teams with pace and he offers it in spades. So um, they also have Miguel Almiron who, did okay, I think, in his his first full season in the Premier League, um, but back from his days at Atlanta United was just a rock star in the MLS, and, and I think has a lot of uh, nice skills. So they they've got a lot of potent weapons. They do, and if you're playing like a Liverpool, I mean, look, Liverpool is in the Premier League, and we're a Premier League team, so we should try. We should always go into the mindset of being competitive with with teams like Liverpool and Man City, but Newcastle here ended five points ahead of us last time. They won one more game than we did last season. So this is a team that I think, especially with the schedule that we have coming up, this is a really important win to start off the season really strong, like we did last year, where I think we won our first five out of six games or something like that. I know we lost the first one in Man City, but but get that confidence in the team here. And I, I would be happy with the draw, a defeat, I think, would be very crushing, especially with uh, with this the games coming up. Uh, yeah, you got to get some points out of this one. Uh, whether it's a a draw wouldn't be great, but it, I you would need you need to get something on the board. You can't go uh, if we don't if we do have a bad result here, it could kind of snowball into a, yeah. a disastrous month month or two. Uh, I think we'll I think we'll get. A draw. That's my prediction. I'm predicting a 2-2 draw. Interesting. So you're predicting both teams are going to score a fairly high-scoring game then. Yeah, I think I think Hilaire will get one, and I think Antonio will get one for yeah. us. And for them, probably Wilson and St. Maxim. St. Maxim, yeah. Yeah, that's the – I mean, like you mentioned, St. Maxim and Wilson just seem to tear us up every time. And uh, – just thinking out loud here. So I definitely think, yeah, they both will get a goal. Uh, I, I could see a three, two win. I could also see a three, two loss. So I, it, it, this, one, this one's kind of tough to tell because if we can go out there score early, uh, I think that goal is going to have resounding effects in terms of the pace of the game and who sets the tempo. And if we can set that tempo and play how we want to play, and and if we play like we did at the end of the season last year, um, Antonio gets a goal. I see Hilaire getting a goal. Maybe I'm, I'm really hoping that we get like a Bowen or a Suchek, maybe a Suchek corner header or a Bowen, uh, you know, long long range shot or something like that. But I, it's I'm going to go with a, a three two win, but. I also want to caveat that by saying a 3-2 loss I think is extremely important. But with that said, I think it will be a really high-scoring game because both teams are attacking-minded and, and both teams have weaknesses in their defense. Yeah. How would you line up? I, I know there's – it seems like we, we kind of kept that 4-3-3 throughout most of the preseason. 
uh, would you stick with something like that or change it? And if, if so, kind of what, what are you thinking in terms of, of where the players line up? Yeah. So that's a good question. Uh, I, I would keep our flat four in defense. Uh, you pretty much have to, at this point, uh, if we had some solid center backs, then maybe you could argue you could go to a three back, but I think you've got to keep a four back right now. Um, unless we bring in someone for midfield, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth and, and maybe we can have some discussion on this, but I'm kind of going back and forth on if you put for on the left, because if you don't, it's like, who do you put out there? But I do want to put him more center. Um, I would, I would be tempted to try for on the left, Suchek and rice in the middle. Suchek being a little bit more attacking and rice being a little bit more defensive. And then, uh, obviously Bowen on the right. And that would allow the spot for Antonio to be up top with Hilaire. And I think okay. with Hilaire's getting that support from Antonio, getting the crosses from Bowen. And for now, uh, he doesn't play, you know, the best games on the left, but he still was evolved in the attack and he's still getting service. And the other player I'd be tempted to put out there is Lanzini. Not super tempted. I'd, I'd much rather see for now's play. But if you're going to say play for now's in the middle, then I think you've got to play Lanzini out there. You know, I, I'm very nervous to put Anderson in there, especially the first game of the season, especially when you've got defensive responsibilities like you will in Newcastle, where you've got to have that player come back. And we've seen for now's, even though he's not the greatest defender, he at least runs back, whereas Anderson yeah. doesn't even try. How would you what, line What up? would your back line be? In that? Oh, so my back line, I put, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would put, hmm, I'm kind of torn by putting Johnson on the left and Fredericks on the right. That's um, what I'm thinking. Yeah, because Cresswell – so actually, that's exactly what I would do. And the reason is because Johnson's a much younger player and Frederick, and and both Fredericks and Johnson have speed. Yeah, and that's going to be crucial to the counter. That's going to be – exactly. Like, Frederick has pace on the wing, St. Maximus pace. Callum Wilson, Callum Wilson even has, you know, a decent bit of pace. And, yeah, and, and tell me how Cresswell is going to keep up. He's going to get burned. And he, and he was burned last season. And he was – he did, like, okay it's last season. It's just – he, every time we played, like, say, a Triore or someone that was extremely fast, we got crushed on that yeah. wing. So, yeah. Well, Cresswell's exactly to the it. point, and he's to the point where he can even have – this is the same with what – you know, he's not as extreme as Zabaleta was near the end, but where you can have good defensive positioning, but you're slow enough to still get burned. Yeah. And that's one of the bigger problems. Yeah, so I would go the same with you. Johnson on the left. Uh, Frederick's on the right. I even I, I like kind of Johnson. I don't think Johnson naturally should be on the left, but you know he does a good job. And, and even going forward, I think it's nice for him because since he's on his weak foot, it's almost more instinctual for him. He doesn't when he, I think when he's on the right side, sometimes he tries to get a little too tricky, do a little too much. Where on the left side, he knows okay, my job is to get down the flank on offense, send a few crosses in, and that's it. Like. It's it's pretty you know it's it's simple he doesn't have to think through it and therefore defensively he can be a little more uh, put more effort on the defense. Yeah, I think he's got to rely on the basics more on the left side because he knows that he's not that he, that's not his natural position and I and I really like that he doesn't get too complacent really I think it prevents complacency. Yeah. But well, how and else then, would you line up, Chris? I'd probably uh, I, although Diop didn't have a good preseason, I still choose him over Balbuena. Obviously, I'll Bona in there and uh, Frederick's on the right. I'd probably go with the 4-3-3 that we've been playing. Um, I do centrally Suchek and Rice, obviously. Um, I know 
to end last season, we put Mark Noble a lot kind of as the forward three, but I'd put Fornells here. Um, I, I really liked some of the games that he played centrally. Um, kind of he was able to both can drop back into the midfield defensively, but also kind of get up there with the strikers. Um, I'd put uh, Hilaire as the lone striker, but I'd caveat it with saying I want my wingers, Antonio on the left, Bowen on the right, being very fluid and, and coming into the attacking spots in and around Hilaire. I think it's both Hilaire – I mean, sorry, both Bowen and, and Antonio can score goals, and I want their skills to be able to score goals to be complemented by Hilaire's hold-up play and have almost inside forwards a lot of the time, you know, where you have all three of them close to the goal in front of the goal rather than super out wide just trying to send crosses in. That's a really good point. So as a manager in a Premier League club and really any any manager, I think you should be a, a student of the game. And when I watch FC Bayern Munich go through the Champions League and win every game and, and crush a lot of of London teams, but um, but teams in general, especially in that Barcelona win. Look at how their offense plays. So you've got Gnabry and Mueller, right? And and then obviously Lewandowski up top. But they're not just always 100% in that picture-perfect, um, you know, left, right, and center. They're fluid. And, and I think that's one thing that West Ham can improve on a lot is Bowen, yeah, he's on the right and Antonio's on the left. But I'm not mad if I see Bowen more center and Hilaire more on the, the right side or, you know, vice versa with Antonio on the other side. I, I want them to be more fluid this season. And I think that's going to really help out. Um, Hilaire is supposed to be more of a hold up player. So Antonio and Bowen should be making runs past him and yeah. he relays the ball or something. So I, I think that is one of the bigger areas, probably in the attack, the biggest area we can improve on is fluidity within uh, those, those attacking players. Yeah, I like how each each of those three offers something different, but offers something complementary. You know, one of Hilaire, – Hilaire had a great goal-scoring record at Eintracht, but one of the things that made him next level there was that he had a ton of assists as well. He was He's a good passer. He has a good touch on the ball. Whereas Antonio, one of the things that makes him better than just a standard winger is that he's so aggressive in the box – and whether it's when the ball's in the air or the ball's on the ground, he can get to the places he needs to be to score goals. Same thing with Bowen. Bowen, you know, mostly has contributed through assist in his half season with us, but he's shown that he can he can get forward, get advanced, and has a solid left foot on him. But I just think you have all three of those together and give them the freedom to operate interchangeably uh, where they can each support each other, but also each play a slightly different role. I, I think that's where you're going to start seeing our offense clicking, especially if you let Fornals kind of be there around them too in that, number, in that more central role where he doesn't – where he can basically yep. use – one of the things I like about him is that he knows when he needs to pass it quickly versus when he can dribble. I think a lot of – like one of the problems with Anderson and Lanzini for me is that they tend to overplay the ball. They, they kind of hold on to it too long, don't really do anything with it, or for, for nows is more can be more that bang, bang, let's move it on. Yeah, and, and especially when you throw Suchek into that mix who can take shots from a long way out, but he also can be that extremely uh, dangerous attacking threat 
so he can kind of fill both roles there in, in that holding role and also the attacking role. And so I think you could, I, I think we do have a really strong attack. I, I, there's not a lot I would change with that attack. Um, I just think we need to, to get that chemistry and fluidity going. And yeah. we saw, we saw a, a pretty decent glimpse of it last season at the end and look at the goals we scored. I mean, we had the number one goal scorer in the premier league since the restart, you know? Yeah. So it, it's there, it's there. It's just, just got to bring it together. Yeah. So I think that's, I think there are definitely some positives to look forward to at Bournemouth and, you want to quickly go New, through just maybe our, who, who we think for a couple of the major categories for the season, since this is our kind of first first of the second season uh, podcast, maybe like top goal scorer, top assist, and maybe hammer of the year predictions. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. So I'm going to say, uh, look, we saw a great restart from Antonio. I just i am worried about his sustainability throughout the season, and that includes injury, and that um, also includes can he keep up this goal scoring streak. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to say that Hilaire is going to be our top goal scorer. I think Antonio will do very well, but I think Hilaire, I, I really think he's going to have a breakout season. Um, especially if we can just play a little bit more to his strengths in, you know, using him the way that he, he was played to Eintracht. So I'm going to go with him top goal scorer. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Declan Rice would be a very good contender, I think for hammer of the year. I I do see Bowen actually taking it this year though because we saw he was in he was in the the talk I guess the um the hoopla about it in the running for it yeah. but but really wasn't a serious contender just because of his time at the club and, and another one is Suchek I think Suchek could also come into this talk um but if I had to choose one I think Bowen is going to be the one that's going to be hammer of the year and what was the uh assist. the other What's the... oh assist oh yeah so I, I, I think I could either go Bowen here or Antonio, probably Antonio, just because I, I'm really excited. And I think that Antonio and Hilaire are going to link up a lot better here. Yeah. Um, Antonio is going to create those chances in there. And then he's, you know, I, I see him relaying it to, to Hilaire and, and Hilaire's proven he can finish. He, he proved it at Eintracht and he has even proven it here. It's just, uh, there's some easy chances he's missed. And I think this season he's going to score those and that will be the difference. So for me, I think I agree with you. I'm, I'm more worried about Antonio's fitness, but I can also see if Hilaire doesn't start the year, it might take him a while to get in. I can I can see Moyes not starting Hilaire and just starting Antonio up top and maybe a Lanzini or someone on the left. So that could hurt. So both of them miss time maybe, but I, I would say for, for me, Hilaire top goal scorer, but I think both he and Antonio will just crack above 10 goals. So I think Antonio will get about 10 or 11. I can see Hilaire getting a dozen or maybe up to 14. Um, so I think it'll be a race between those two assist. I'm actually gonna, you know, I was thinking Bowen early on, but the more, more and more I think about it, I'm going to go for now. I think for now is going to be, you know, his second season in, in not only the Prem, but in the English game, just going to have, you know, a good adjustment. I, he showed some flashes in the first season. It was a lot of, does he have the consistency? And really, is he being played at the right spot? If we, I think if we play him in the right spot, he could get, be our, our top assist. I think Bowen, Bowen's another good shout there. I think Bowen might have more combined goals and assists than, than Fernals does, but 
Uh, Fernals, I think, will be the, the top distributor. Hammer of the year. Gosh, that's tough. I, I can see I can see a path for a lot of different players. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Bowen. I, I'm I, I'm gonna go with Bowen as well, just because I think he is going to play most games. He's gonna play every game that he's healthy. Yep. And I think he can give enough with goals and assists while also being enough of a difference maker, not a difference maker on defense, but enough of a um, effort giver on defense to really kind of win the fans over and, and win the hammer of the year. I think, but I, like I said, or like you said, I think both Rice and Suchek are going to play huge roles. Um, if Hilaire gets cracking, he could even be hammer of the year. Yeah. So th- there's some good options. I, I definitely, and maybe I'll throw in one more category we haven't talked about. One player maybe on the fringes of the squad that could could lock down a first-place position by the end of the season. I'm going to go – this is going to be really – this is going to be really strange. If I just had to choose one that's not not in my starting 11 right now, but I think we'll, we'll maybe have a little bit of a, a takeover, could, we'll be Anderson. So I'm, I'm assuming, and this is why I'm assuming one of Antonio or Hilaire is not going to get a, might not get a ton of game time. And if, if you're looking between Lanzini and Anderson, I think Anderson has a better chance to kind of take that role over. And if he could rekindle what he had the first year at the, at the club, he could, he could be really good for us. So I, I think if, if you're Anderson and Lanzini and you, you're sitting there, you're on the bench, but you're looking at the team and you say, all right, my opportunity is coming because I, can, I would be willing to bet money that either Antonio or Hilaire, likely Antonio, is going to get injured at some point in the season. And that's going to be the breakout time, or the breakout chance, I should say, for, uh, for Anderson and Lanzini. I think Lanzini would get played first, but then Anderson will work into that rotation and and that's where he's got to prove himself. I, I'm nervous to say that he would be the breakout. I I didn't really see a bunch of him that first season. So, you know, you have a little bit more uh, knowledge in that department. But if I had to pick a, a breakout player, I, if we're winning a game comfortably and or or if we're in, you know, the FA Cup or we're playing some of these, I think we need to take the FA Cup seriously. But the first few rounds should destroy teams. And if we're by a good amount and you know let's try out some players and one player i think that could break out who i wanted to see last year um, is silva and the reason is because now we've got a hole we sold a yeti who was our first team striker that or he didn't start but he was our our you know solid striker if one of them got hurt antonio and hilaire and i think one of them will get hurt i think that's where the opportunity window is going to come in um i don't I don't want to say he's going to push for a starting spot, but I want to say that he will solidify. I would really like to see him solidify himself as that, you know, filling that Yeti role. Yeah, hopefully he could be he could be a, a star turn. He's, yeah, man, had a just a rough last season with injuries and, and a few personal issues from from the reports. I don't know. I don't know exactly what all he was dealing with, but I know he was out for long stretches of time and just man. 
he seemed he seems to be well liked by the academy players and i just yeah i hope he can he definitely has a path to the first team with kind of no other backup striking options available so i, I yeah I, he could be great if he if he hits and one player I want to just mention here and, and ask your opinion on is Colin. Do you think Colin's going to push for first team or uh, be a solid sub? Or how do you think he's going to do this season? I think this this is another maybe bold prediction. I think he gets more minutes for us this year than Mark Noble. Hmm. Wow. I I think he offers – for I, I mean – Mark, Mark, I love Mark. I think Mark's great to have in the squad. Um, I really don't want to see him starting that much. And if, honestly, if if we're playing where, you know, kind of Rice and Suchek in the midfield too, one of them gets injured, I, it's really and, – and if you're giving that number 10 role someone like Fornell is who you want to go forward, I think it's better to have a player like Collett in there uh, as the other, you know, say, say Suchek gets hurt, then I, I'd rather put – put Colin in there instead of Noble um, at least to give him a shot. Cause I think he, he just has more energy in the legs and he's had a few, you know, in preseason, a few great performances uh, where he's contributed well, both defensively and with some key passes. So I, I, I think he'll be a player that should see minutes. If he's one of those guys that even if he's not starting has a sub role in just about any game, cause you can put him on, if you're losing to kind of solidify the midfield defensively, you can put them on, or sorry, uh, if you're, if you're winning to do that, if you can put them on, if you're losing to maybe give you a, a little more attacking uh, threat from the midfield. So yeah, I, I think he's a versatile player. I hope he does a good job. Just to kind of play devil's advocate. I'm concerned that we won't see the full potential of Colin it, it, purely because of all the positions we have in the team that have depth, it's the central midfield, and or at least it, I don't know if I'd call it depth, but I'd call it you're you're never you're not going to displace Rice or Suchet. Like there's just no yeah. Way. Well, well that too, but I, but I'm also talking about. I mean, you've got Wilshire who could play there for nows, right? Noble. So there's three, and those people. Hopefully, one of you know one of them will start, but. Um, then Rice and Suchek. So that's five people that need to fill three spots. Plus, you can play Lanzini in there. We've seen Anderson play in there. So I think all those players that I just mentioned, so that's seven total, um, are going to take the spot first over Colin. And, and I'm not saying that I agree with that. Um, I I don't watch the trainings, you know, so Moyes would, would have a much better idea of how Colin's doing compared to Anderson or something. But... I would like to see him. And again, it's the same with, with kind of Silva is like, when are they going to get their breakout time? Well, if we're up by a lot, I wouldn't mind giving him some premier league experience. And then if he plays well, then kind of like uh, Ngakia did like, Hey, Ngakia came in when we needed him to, and he really earned his spot very quickly. So I wouldn't mind trying that out. And even if Colin doesn't play a ton of games, like give him that experience and let's work him into the team. Cause he, Again, he's he did roughly the same thing that he that Dean Ghana did is he did well as as well as he could have on loan. So now that we've seen, even though it was a little bit of a, a lower league, um, he did well there and he's proven himself there. So yeah, he did he did well on loan, and you know there's there's something to say that that getting ex- game experience on loan helps you. 
one thing I will say that that might kind of benefit him from being here is he hasn't been around the club. He, you know, he we keep sending him out on loan. But if you think of like you talked about that deep midfield room that we have, practicing every day, you know, week in week out with players like Rice, Suchek, and Noble kind of seeing how each of them find ways to contribute to the team could be exactly what I don't, he's not a super young player, but he's still like 24. He's not a, you know, old player to see what kind of, Hey, I've, I've got this game time the last several years. So I got that. I've got a little bit of experience, but Hey, now I get to see people that are really performing at a high level, see the different way that they can, what they do and, and kind of apply my skills to that. So I think just kind of learning and observing from leaders like that could be really good for him. Yeah, and I don't want him to be like a Holland where we kept loaning him out. He did well. Holland did well on loan, but we never really brought him into the team and, and really yeah. worked him. And he or or Diangana. <laughs> yeah, or Diangana. Yeah, yeah. But at least like Diangana, I feel like he has proven himself, and now he's going to prove me. Whereas Holland, like I feel like he had a lot of potential, and he still does. It's just. We just never worked him. You just never know. He, he's so yeah. he gets injured so often. Yeah, that just, yeah, that that's the problem. Yeah, you, you and the same thing. Yeah, you you worry with players like Holland and Colin. Have they? You know, there's still a few year difference between them. Holland still has a couple more years to go, but did they miss their time? Maybe I don't. I still don't think 24 is too. No, um, yeah, too old, especially with we're not asking him to to play. And, you know, a starter 90 minutes every game. What we're asking is, can you give us depth at this position where we have other options, but a lot of those options are either injury-prone like Wilshire or older like Noble. So I, I think it's it's not necessarily an easy role to flourish in, but it's also not it's not a high-pressure role. So hopefully he can do good. Um, give us maybe uncover a little bit of a gem there. And one last uh, prediction, Chris. Where do you think we're going to finish – for a fair assessment, where do you think in the Premier League at the end of the season? Fifteenth. Yeah, I I would argue fourteenth or fifteenth. Um, I'm hoping VAR doesn't uh, go against us as much this season. Yeah. Not that that made a huge difference, last, but I, I think you know well, it did we make say, a difference last year. We, I mean, oh, we it did. Several, we were one of the largest losers in in points we were, from yeah. VAR. We, yeah. we were the largest loser in the Premier League, and. Um, but anyways, besides that, uh, we said about say that ninth or 10th position, I think is the top we could push for. Um, if we got above, I would say if we got above 10th, I would be extremely happy. Um, if we got, I, I, I am thinking about 14th or 15th. I think we will be in a relegation battle, but I think we'll be a little bit more safe. Yeah. I don't think we'll have that run of games last year. Like we had with Roberto where we're just helpless. Like, I I don't think there's something like that that's going to happen, but I don't see, I really don't see us fixing some of the major issues from a lot of the games last year. Yeah. All right. All well, right. That concludes our, our, our look to the Newcastle game. Uh, you know, maybe not the uh, not as exciting as maybe past seasons have been to start the year, but let's hope we can get a win. I think it's I think it's a good team, and I'm I'm excited that football's back. I know it hasn't been gone for too long, but I'm looking forward to the game. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to get the season started. I want to see a good result. I think it's going to be a good high-scoring game. And come on, you irons. Come on, you irons.